Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women by sharing their unique stories and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, a former school teacher and principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. Each week, we will feature stories from women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome to the In Awe Podcast and a fresh series kickoff with a new second month of 2020. In this new series on creativity, we are featuring women who will absolutely inspire us to reinvest in both ourselves and those around us to ignite what makes us unique. As Brené Brown says, the only unique contribution we will make to this world will be born of creativity. I hope as you listen, you will examine how you might create your own contribution to this wonderful world of ours just waiting for your unique imprint. Today's guest kicks us off in passionate fashion, and I am thrilled to share her with you. Dr. Katie Martin is the author of Learner-Centered Innovation and Vice President of Professional Learning at Altitude Learning. She has worked in diverse contexts to learn, research, and support deeper learning for all students. She has served as a middle school English language arts teacher, instructional coach, and led the district new teacher mentoring program. Katie has a bachelor's degree and master's degree in middle school education and her PhD in curriculum and instruction. At the university, district, and school level, Katie aspires to create experiences that empower all learners to develop knowledge, skills, and mindsets to thrive in a changing world. As a mom, she wants her kids to have learning experiences in school that build on their strengths and interests, and as an educator, she is passionate about making sure we do the same for all kids. In this episode, we learn how Dr. Katie works to influence others in shaping learning experiences that will bring out the best in what she calls our jagged profiles. Each of us and our students are individuals with unique designs for learning. We discuss the importance of designing experiences in classrooms that are learner-centered to keep curiosity and passion flowing for our learners. Katie shares her own experiences in embracing herself as a creative, as well as her connection to this passion through her own children. Katie had me thinking a lot about how we can work within our systems to promote creation and iteration, and I love her heart for creativity in our schools. I hope you will stick around to the end of the episode for a gift to my listeners and a chance to extend this conversation in person with Dr. Katie in June of 2020. I am so honored to bring to you Dr. Katie Martin's creativity story. Welcome Dr. Katie Martin to the In Awe podcast. I cannot explain to you how elated I am to have you on this podcast and to be able to share you with the In Awe community. Well, I am so excited to be here and so excited to be part of the community and connect with all of your awesome listeners. So Katie, it would be shocking to me if people in my listenership did not know who you are, but just in case they don't, would you give a little bit of background about where you up, where you are and what you're up to in the world? Of course. I live in San Diego with my husband, who's a teacher, and my two awesome kids. And I uh, work for um, Altitude Learning, which is a network of schools around the country. So I work from home, but also get to travel around the country um, and internationally sometimes to see and connect with many awesome, awesome educators. Uh, so it's been really fun to be able to work from home, but also be able to see what's happening across the, across the U S and world in education. That's so incredible. So you're going to be able to offer a really neat perspective, I think. So we have you featured here on the series on creativity, and I could not be more giddy about how perfect it is to have you. Um, so do you just want to share a little bit about your passion around fostering creativity in schools? 
Absolutely. Um, I, th I think it kind of stems from, you know, my own experience in school. And I just remember feeling like I was going through the motions and just kind of showing up to um, get the B I was supposed to get and move through. And I never really thought of myself as creative or, um, or even as a writer or speaker. And so when I have had the opportunity to learn um, and express my own creativity in different learning experiences, I just want to make sure that we have those opportunities for students. And when I see what kids are capable of and their different ideas and questions, I think it's so important to value those early in life and not wait till they get out of school to really explore them. Oh, absolutely. And for listeners that aren't familiar with your work, Katie, you've had some really incredible opportunities to grow your skills. I know you have a TED Talk that I was able to watch, and I'll be sure to link in the show notes for listeners. Um, but do you want to just share a little about your um, mission to kind of make sure that schools are fostering creativity and innovation? Yeah. Um, I think when you mentioned the TED Talk, that that is truly one of the most powerful learning experiences I've ever had. Uh, I grew up really afraid of public speaking and scared to death to stand in front of my peers. Um, and just, I, I really learned through that experience how important it was to uh, rely on other people and be vulnerable and share my ideas and get feedback, which is sometimes really hard because sometimes we just want to turn in a perfect product and be done. And that's always, you know, we work really hard behind the scenes and want everyone to love something we've done. And I really learned through that process how much better I was for sharing my ideas early, getting feedback, getting coaching, um, being really horrible, to be honest. My first drafts <laughs> were really, really bad. And I think people looked at me like, oh my gosh, you're going to be on stage. We have to help you. Um, <laughs> and, and the more and more I brought people in to give me feedback and to support me, um, I really learned and grew so much for the process. And I, I gained so much more confidence in myself. Um, but that you know leads back to my passion for this work in schools is that if we don't create the environment for kids to show up and be seen for who they are as individuals and really build on their strengths, but also develop new skills and mindsets, we really will like miss out on the opportunity for them to um, find things they're passionate about and solve problems that really need to be solved in our local communities, in our homes, in our schools, and in the broader global community. Um, and we have 12, 13 years with kids before they go on to college or work. And we have the opportunity to really lean into who they are and build up those skills and not just, um, you know, drill the creativity out of kids, but really expand on it. Um, I cite the Gallup poll a lot. Um, because if you don't know about it, I think it's really important to know that as kids throughout our country move through school, they become less engaged, less excited, and um, they have less opportunities to do things that they feel good at. Um, and when we don't have opportunities to do things that we feel successful and happy and enjoy doing, uh, we kind of lose part of ourselves. And then we wonder why kids aren't motivated and excited in school. It's because they, they aren't doing things that matter to them. And so when we really build on those strengths and build on those opportunities to ignite kids' passions, um, 
we get so much more out of them. They will go above and beyond instead of just doing bare minimum. And that also really impacts us as educators. When we're excited about what we're doing, we're excited and pouring into kids. We also feel so much more enriched because that's why we got into this job. It's too hard to not really love and have and be so passionate about growing kids. Oh my goodness. Yes. You've said so many great things, but I want to make sure that we don't lose here. So one to peel back is going back to your comment about the Ted talk and the speech that you gave and just this vulnerability in you saying like it, it was, it was an SFD, right? A fucking first draft, right? Oh my God. Totally. (laughs) And I think that anybody who's kind of, I would say in adulthood, rediscovering their creativity, because I think most of us listening understand that we've been products of that system that has hammered the creativity out of us. And I, and even if we're not aware of it, right. Um, understand that, you know, that first draft we do is never the best version of itself. So I'm just proud of you for saying out loud, like I needed people to give me feedback and to get into this process of creation. Right. Yeah. You know, and I would say, Uh, I I keep learning. This is such a hard lesson to learn. And I keep learning every time I'm trying to create something new or, um, you know, put something together in whether it's a book or drafts or, or just even, um, services for other people. I learn that the longer I wait to share with other people and get feedback, the longer I, you know, make the process of making it better and better. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's why blogging, I still can't believe that I, you know, over, it's almost been five years since I've been blogging. And every time I hit publish, it's painful mm-hmm. because I'm always like, oh gosh, did I, you know, what are people going to think? And could I have said that better? Um, and it's, it's still something that I continually fight every day. Well, and I thank you for that vulnerability because I've more and more been hearing from people who are longing for this creativity in themselves as adults and they want to share their voice and they want to begin that world and they you know just how do you start but then you sharing as somebody who has created at high levels and continues to do so to say it's still hard it's still vulnerable just keep doing it you know uh it's so good i just really value what you're sharing here and one more thing before we move off of that topic of your own creativity is um, I love this, the quote by Brené Brown, and I share this in my own like sessions when I'm working with individuals and trying to get them to kind of light back up their passions and ignite that is that we tend to think creativity is about fine arts, you know, like painting and drawing and all of that. I love the Brené Brown quote that says, the only unique contribu- contribution that we will make to this world is going to be born out of creativity. And it creating versus consuming. And so, you know, writing um, any project, I I love that you're saying that students, we need to be doing this a lot earlier than kind of trying to rediscover it in our adulthood. Um, So good. Yeah, I think that, you know, I cite the uh, jobs um, for the future, the workforce for the future um, research that what the skills are necessary in 2020, which is now not the future anymore. It's now. And you know, creativity is one of the top skills that is needed. And a lot of times I remind educators, this isn't a diorama. This isn't some beautiful art piece. The creativity is about taking ideas from different disciplines, from different perspectives, 
perspectives in the world and creating something new and better. These new ideas um, is really what creativity is about. And um, we have to be able to open ourselves up to that. We have to be able to allow um, ourselves to not have all the answers and to make space for what kids come with instead of always just providing them with the recipe to do something. Yes. Oh, I love it. You are just so inspiring to me, Katie, just listening to you is speaking so much into my heart right now. Um, And I know that listeners are going to really be appreciative of that because I think we just all need to redefine that a little bit, whether we're in education or not. Um, The other thing that I wanted to highlight, I think that you had been talking about is this idea that we don't want to remove those opportunities for students to explore. And so you're working uh, in your own creation, but you're also helping others to work through that process. So do you want to share a little bit about like the work you do now in supporting educators and supporting school systems to, um, you know, develop these innovative, creative opportunities instead of just like that check the box? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always a process and I, I am so grateful to be able to do this work with so many different schools. And it, what I find is whether or not it's a, you know, traditional school district, if it's a charter school, private independent schools, just like all of us around the world, we have so much more in common than we do that is different about us. And so whenever I work with different um, groups of educators, uh, I hear a lot of the same challenges, but I always come back to what do we want for kids? Um, and I, you know, I was listening to your podcast with Jody Carrington this morning, and she was talking about like always going back to like what do we when we talk to parents, when we talk to educators, people always want kids to be happy. They want them to be successful in a way that matters to them. They want them to be productive, resilient. Um, they want them to be able to regulate their emotions. These are things that we want for kids. And so if we start there, instead of a system that was designed over a hundred years ago. If we start with what we want for kids today and we re-examine our practices and systems and approaches, we will create entirely new ways of doing things because we're oriented to creating these types of skills that kids need to be successful in all walks of life. And so if we want them to be independent, self, you know, resilient kids, we start doing things in school where they have to set goals. They have to track their own progress. They have to get feedback from, you know, and do multiple iterations. They have to work across disciplines. These are things that develop the skills that we want. And so when we start thinking about that, it's not that we throw out everything we've already done. The best teachers I've ever worked with, you know, whether they're new or, or have been teaching for 40 years, have always looked to kids and have always been innovating their practices to best meet the kids that they work with. The system, however, has not always supported that. And so it's about looking at these best practices, looking at what's next for all of our kids, and really designing systems and practices that can meet the needs of all of our kids and not just a narrow subset of what we have traditionally valued as smart, um, which I think is, is something that is a really hard way for a lot of educators to, to wrap their heads around. 
I think there are two things that you said <laughs> that just create some real freedom. Um, one is that you said doesn't matter if it's a brand new teacher or a teacher has been at for 40 years. If they focused on the students, they've always wanted to innovate, right? And yes. the struggle is the systems, right? That, uh, you know, that I, it's been my experience too. And I'm wondering, because you have been so focused on this topic, what do you think might be some of the common trends or or threads that make it hard for innovation to occur in our traditional schools? I've been thinking a lot about that. I, one of my big influences is, you know, George Kuros has been a huge influence on my own thinking and creativity, but also pushing on these um, these barriers. And um, with his new book with Katie Novak, Innovate Inside the Box, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of focus on, on these barriers. But what I want to say is it's like, it's our way of thinking more so than really a way of these systems. So if we, there's educators all over the country, all over the world who are doing things in spite of the systems. Yes. Um, and so when we start saying like, oh, I wish I could do this, but the system, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. Mm-hmm. And so instead of thinking, I can't do it, I always looked at how, how can we do this to best meet the needs of the kids? The things that we run up against mainly is like fear, our own fear of not being good enough and not being perfect and doing it right can prevent us from actually just seeing the kids in front of us and trying a strategy that we know actually is really powerful and works. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is, is one of the biggest, the biggest challenges we, the other thing is our isolation. Um, in education, we are so um, isolated from one another because we're in our classroom, we're with kids all day, and we don't ever get to see each other teach. We don't ever get to see other approaches. And when you're only limited by what you know and what you've experienced, it becomes very hard to create something new and different for your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, would, I mean, just our own way of thinking, our own experiences, our isolation, um, and and I just I think the other thing that that gets in our way is um, is our assessment practices is is a really huge I mean this is this is systematic but um, we we say so much that we want kids who are creative and innovative and and curious yet we're still assessing very narrow and traditional skills and if we don't expand our view of success and really start teaching and assessing and um, and honoring these skills, then we, we aren't going to create the systems and the, the learning environments that we need for our kids to thrive. Well, absolutely. And honestly, I want to make sure that I don't forget to highlight one thing on that and how you have kind of lived that in a big and bold way in your own life. But uh, the one piece I want to make sure that listeners hear is this book that you've written, The Learner-Centered Innovation. Um, and I love the subtitle, Spark Curiosity, Ignite an unleashed genius. When we empower kids to explore and learn how to make an impact on the world, we inspire problem solvers and innovators. And I'm thinking about what you're saying in regard to this call to action from educators and systems is to problem solve around the systems. <laughs> you yeah. know, 
Use your own creativity and your own brilliance to create systems uh, in your school that can get around that. Um, and I just love that work. But the other piece that I'm just fascinated with by you, Katie, is this idea that you, I think, took a big leap in your own world with your son. I, I read a blog post that I'll link for the listeners in regard to what you just said about you know this assessment and uh, what we're doing for and, and with our children in our school. So do you want to share a little bit about a big decision that your family made in regard to keeping your hus- your son's creativity alive? Yeah, um, it's it's an ever-growing story. And I do thank you for bringing that up. Um, as I learned as much as an educator, I learned so much from being a mom. And and every day I'm humbled by what they, what they do. Um, when my son was in second grade, uh, he's now in fourth grade. He, he said to me, um, this was after a series of like him starting to withdraw from his friends and basketball and the things he loved. He, you know, we were talking one night and I said, buddy, what just, what's going on? And he just said, mom, you're working so hard to fix school, but it's not working. And I'm going to get emotional talking about it. Um, he, and he just said like, I hate school. How much longer do I have to do this? And, you know, there's a lot of kids who feel this way, but in second grade and knowing the research and the trends, I just was, I just thought we have to do something different. I saw this coming. I, I could anticipate it from kindergarten that he was a very creative kid. He loved to solve problems. He could stay and play with Legos forever. But if you asked him to write his name or, you know, fill out a worksheet, he would just shut down. And so, um, he, he started just like, he was doing a lot of worksheets and a lot of things in school and he was just really frustrated and his teacher, um, I know cared deeply about him and, and wanted him to do well. And the way she thought she was doing that was just marking his grammar and his misspellings and all his errors with red pens and handing it back to him. And what it did was it just made him shut down and feel totally worthless. And so, uh, my family decided that we had an opportunity to send him to a different school where, um, you know, the kid, school my kids went to was the highest performing school in the county. Um, you know, very well received. Many people move into the neighborhood to go to the school. And we moved into a school that was um, less, um, le- well, the lower test scores, more diverse, but really a true focus on kids and their whole self and growing the whole learner through project-based learning. Um, and I have so many stories that I'm fortunate to be able to tell, but one of the big things is even in his first week, he came home from school and said, mom, do you know I'm smart? And I was like, yeah, baby, you're super smart, but what makes you think that? And he said, my teacher, um, used my strategy today to teach the rest of the class. And my teacher, you know, let me solve a problem the way that I solve a problem and shared it with everybody else. And I felt really smart. And I just thought, what a simple strategy to make room for kids, to let them, you know, instead of doing 50 problems, do one at a deep level and struggle and persevere and, and work something out and share with other people and how important that made him feel. And then, you know, if we jump ahead a year later, he just had one of his exhibitions in school where he stood up and read a poem that he wrote um, to his peers and their parents, over 100 people with, you know, passion and confidence. And it just 
it makes my heart sing as a mom, as an educator about what is possible when we see kids for who they are and we give them the space to grow and develop into themselves. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And um, was that the one where he considered himself 30% handsome? <laughs> that is one of them. <laughs> yes. I just love that. Oh my goodness. And just listening to you walk through that, that very personal connection to the passion that you've always had. Sometimes, I mean, I kind of look at our lives and I've, I've had this in my own life. And I've seen this with people I care deeply about is they've had this long life passion and somehow the mission and their message kind of manifest through their kids. And it's never, it's like the craziest <laughs> thing how that happens, but it's beautiful. And it kind of put your um, money where your mouth was. Sounds like when I tell people that, or they, they ask about my kids, I have so many people that say, Oh my gosh, my son is your son. I know someone like your son. I have these kids in my class. And so often we push too many kids to the margins and we'd only teach to the middle and not to all kids. And, you know, Zach is one example of a unique individual and we all have these jagged profiles and I could tell many stories about my daughter, Abby, and they again are two of so many different kids. And so when we only teach to the middle, we really reach no one. I just appreciate the gentle yet kind of fierce way you're about this conversation because as an a classroom teacher myself, I'm married to one. I have two children. I've worked in systems, worked in highly innovative systems and worked in systems that are chasing the scorecard. You know, yep. it it's such a complex and challenging discussion, but we've got to keep them going. And I love in your TED talk, you shared kind of a picture of two different schools. And I'd love for you to be able to highlight just a little bit for listeners. You know, some listeners might never have thought about these topics before and others might be highly engaged. But I think that was such a good entry point when you're talking about two different classrooms that have the tools, but the different way that they're using them. And I think this idea of teaching to the middle happens when we have traditional systems. And when we're, when we're looking at the word differentiation as this big four-letter word that's so scary for us, you know. Um, but would you be willing to just kind of highlight those two classrooms and and what you talked about in your TED talk? Yeah, of course. Um, I also just want to go back to what you said about like gentle but fierce. I like I like that um, that framing. I appreciate that, and I, I do think that this is it's it's so easy to speak in platitudes, and this is like it's black or white, and if you just do this, the world will be perfect. And we know that that's just not true. It is way too complex to assume that one person has all the answers. And even the most innovative schools still will say they don't have it figured out, right? We are all have to work together. And there's, there's too much to do to say, well, just, you know, point fingers at one another and say, this is the right way to do it. We really have to all come together as parents, community members, educators, politicians, all of us need to come together and have conversations instead of assume we have the right way. Yeah. So, in that, I will say that, um, you know, the, the different classrooms um, that I've seen, and this goes back to getting out to see other people teach, because you said, if you don't see a different way, you just think that you're, you're doing it the way you're supposed to. So a very typical um, fifth grade classroom that I had the opportunity to visit 
awesome teacher cares a lot. Um, but she was, you know, going through fifth grade curriculum, memorizing the 50 states and the kids are sitting there with, um, you know, their, their, um, notebooks and their, their basal readers and their journals and textbooks. And then in the middle of their desk is an iPad flipped over and they were memorizing the 50 states and their capitals and filling it in the worksheet. And I said to a student, do you know um, any other way to learn your, or I said, why are you learning your 50 states? And she's like, cause the teacher told us to I'm like, okay, you know, do you know another way to do this? And she's like, yeah, my iPad. I'm like, <laughs> okay. But you know, we just keep adding on more and more things sometimes. And I think this is indicative of this craze, you know, seven years ago, maybe 10 now of like, Hey, every kid can have a computer. This is going to change the world. And so we <laughs> went and bought iPads or Chromebooks for every kid and it automatically expected them to be engaged and, and education to switch. And, um, most people are realizing that that didn't work, that technology isn't the silver bullet. It is super powerful and can connect us in really amazing ways. But in and of itself, it doesn't transform education. It's about the people and the way we connect and how we create those experiences. So um, I'm going to add a third that I didn't say in the, t uh, in the TED Talk. So kind of a, a second now that we have computers, I walk into a lot of classrooms and every kid's on a device. They're clicking through with their own own kind of pace maybe, but they're all doing the same thing. They're all kind of in lockstep. And um, again, this is some in some ways considered personalized learning, but there's nothing very personal about it. There's no human connection. There's no questioning. There's no digging deeper. It's just more digitized curriculum. And that in and of itself is not changing really how kids interact with school or allowing them to be as creative. So a third way is really around this opportunity um, to integrate subjects and to connect educators in a way or connect students um, with experts outside of the classroom, go beyond what the teacher knows. Uh, and, you know, a video that I share often is actually my husband's classroom. So I'm also very proud of him, but he, um, as a high school chemistry teacher makes soap with his kids as one of their projects. And they uh, research the, pro the engineering design process to create and iterate and learn new recipes. And, and then they learn about marketing. They learn about how to work together and create a business. They give their um, soap away. They raise money for kids in need. And there's a lot, um, a lot of the kids learn beyond just the chemistry. But they also learn, hey, science is pretty cool. And you need it to do good things in the world, not just to memorize the periodic table and pass a test. Mm. And so when we start having these opportunities to go deeper and not just cover it all, uh, we really understand that we can learn so much more. Um, you know, and la the, this illusion that covering it all is going to get us someplace is something that I think we all need to dig deeper. Like I covered it, I taught it, that's my job. But at the end of the day, if that's not getting us to where we want to be, we really need to revisit why did you cover it? Did they learn it? And, and how is that really impacting um, their day-to-day -day and how they see themselves and how they can continue to learn and, and do things that matter? My heart is just pounding. <laughs> you. It's so good. It's, I bet any listener, whether they're in education or not, can kind of like call back and remember 
an innovative way that you learned, whether that was actually in the structure of a classroom or could it have been club or, or some extracurricular or whatever, because maybe your experience was highly traditional, but you remember those for a reason, right? Absolutely. They're highly engaging. And um, just that example that you gave alone is, you know, when I'm just sitting here listening and thinking about those that I created in my classroom, those that I've seen in the classrooms that I was, you know, in charge of supervising and that you, you can still remember those and you wonder the impact of the, on the kids versus that worksheet that they filled out, you know? Yep. Absolutely. And one thing that I have really been, you know, as you mentioned, the work that I get to do with a lot of different educators, one of the the distinctions is a lot of administrators will say, you know, I just know it when I see it. Like I, I know that good teaching and learning when I see it. And I think although this is meant to be, you know, helpful, it actually creates more tension and confusion for educate for teachers in the classroom. Cause they're like, am I seeing the same thing you're seeing? Are we on the same page? And so it creates this sense of fear. Like I don't, I don't, I want to do what you want, but I don't exactly know what that is. So people revert back to the textbook and the resources they've been given because they think that's what they're supposed to do. So it's really important in our systems, whether it's a classroom or school or district to get really clear about learning, not what we're teaching. I mean, that's important, but, but not just what we're teaching the scope and sequence and the resources, but really to define the learning model. What type of learning do we want to see in the classroom? Do we want learning where kids are collaborating, where they're, they're exploring the world beyond their classroom? Do we want to see opportunities for kids to have agency and be empowered? Those are the conversations we need to have and then talk about what that actually looks like in your own context, in your own community. Because until we have those conversations, people are guessing and there's too much to do and there's too much at stake to put people in those, in those situations to guess and not feel clear about what their goals are. I love that you uh, went there because what a gift, as you described, that creates a tension point because you, because it's fuzzy, you know, you yeah. just, what does that even mean to you? What does a risk mean to you? And people have been burned. So I just appreciate that you kind of let that ferment up to the surface in that conversation. And listeners, I want to make sure that you have access to Katie's work. So I'm going to link her website in here. I see that you just literally posted a couple of days ago, a really great blog post about the focus on learning and not just the project. I love that too because it's easy to get caught up in the excitement of the, you know, the fun piece of creating a project. But how are we making sure, again, that it's not just a fun way to deliver learning that we're, you know, teaching, that we're focusing on the learning that's embedded within that. So really a cool a cool resource that you continue to grow and create yourself beyond your book and beyond your TED Talk and all of that is just a perfect example of you living what you're talking about right now, which is great. Well, thank you. I have seriously never thought of myself as creative like this, I said, growing up. So I'm just honored to be able to continue to learn and um, and grow and um, and connect, like I said, with so many great educators who keep pushing me on a daily basis. Well, I'm so glad to have shared you with my community and I can't wait for them to continue to connect with you. And I cannot wait that I get to connect with you face to face in June. So that's exciting. I am so excited. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. So, okay, Katie, I could sit here and chat with you literally forever, but I just want to make sure that we get to the two standard questions that my listeners, I think, crave by now after they, they've been listening to the Now podcast. So the first question for you is, if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, Katie, what do you think you would say? 
you know, I felt like this, this question was like therapy when I was, um, you know, looking at it, I thought, oh my gosh, really what, what I really would like to say to myself is there is no such thing as average. I always thought I'm just average. Like I never had high expectations of myself. And frankly, no, not many people did have many expectations for me, me either. And so telling myself and everybody else that we all are have jagged profiles that make us special and unique. And that's what makes us um, important. You, your opinions, your ideas, your choices, your questions, all of those things are so very valid. And so really um, so much more comes of life when you lean into who you are and accept it rather than trying to be like everybody else. Oh, I love that jagged profile piece. You've kind of woven that in as we've been talking about it. And I've been thinking a lot about that myself and how we uh, often kind of soften the edges of who we are. And then that just creates a vanilla version of us. So yeah. I just really appreciate that. It spoke right to me right when I needed to hear that. How about this one? Um, if our listeners are listening to you as this influential woman who uh, has accomplished much in her life, yet sits here and vulnerably tells us that she's continuing to grow what if our listeners are finding themselves in a pit of fear or doubt and they need to hear your voice to kind of help them rise up out of that? You know, I think what I keep coming back to, and I just wrote this on my wall yesterday after wanting to for two years, believe there is good in the world with the underscore of be the good. There's so much happening in this world that is just can pull you down. There's, um, you know, just challenges we face in our families and our work day to day. And if we really focus on the good and and I think this harkens back to the gratitude and, and just being able to see the things that are working well and shining a light on those, we can grow the good. And this is in our families, in ourselves, in our communities. Um, it's just so important to focus on things that are going well. We don't ignore things that are not going well, but the more we focus on what is going well, we can have that, that spirit of um, positivity and celebration and continue to grow those things that matter. I love that message coming from you, Katie. They resonate well. And I know that you hit a listener right where they needed to hear it. And it's just so easy to let our brand, our brains go to that default mode and scan for the negative. So just kind of making sure that we're ever present, putting that at the top of our mind is so, so good. Katie, could you share with our listeners, what would be the best way for them to engage with you aside from all the great resources that I'm going to link, like um, your social media connection? Yeah. So my website is katielmartin.com and that has all the things that you can connect with me on my blog and resources. Um, you can always find me on Twitter at Katie Martin edu. Same on Instagram. All right. So listeners, you know, I will faithfully make sure that I do the work behind the scenes so that you can get in touch with Katie. Katie, thank you so much for the time that you gave today and for this wonderful, inspiring interview that you've provided for the listeners. Thank you. It was awesome. Hey friends, are you interested in elevating your leadership and rising up to be a champion for change? If you are ready to move past the status quo and believe you can be more and do more than you ever thought possible, join Dr. Katie and I, as well as an incredible lineup of powerful and inspirational leaders at the first ever Live Your Excellence Summit in Houston, Texas, June 22nd, 23rd, 2020. Listeners of the In Awe podcast can enter promo code L-Y-E-A-W-E-20 to receive $75 off registration. Links to this discount and direct on how to register are located in the show notes of this episode, and I cannot wait to see you there. 
I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast, and I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests, and I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.